Well, good morning, All Seasons. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Uh, today, we're going to be wrapping up our final part of this series on prayer. And uh, we've kind of walked our way through it. We've kind of uh, uh, just kind of understood the process of prayer, how prayer. Basically, we entitled this series, I Choose to Pray. I choose. Well, and, and we want to answer the questions, why? And so we begin the process of understanding that I choose to pray because I can't fix it. So the first step in prayer, as we learn, was humility. Learning to be humble, learning to ask God to, to, to do what we cannot do. I choose prayer because I've come to a point to where I realize there is an issue or a problem or a situation that I can't fix, that I just personally can't fix. Some people pray just, just because it's what you're supposed to do. Uh, even praying over our food. If, if, if we really are serious, why do we pray over our food? Do we really believe that we can't provide our own hamburger? Or we really don't, can't provide our own french fries? Our own? We've come so far from the point of praying and being thankful for God providing the food that we have. Uh, in fact, we just kind of pass it on to somebody else. You pray. Uh, let little one pray. They've learned a real cute prayer to pray over our food. And, and why? Because prayer has been not a need. It's just something, well, we need to pray, you know, and, and, and we do whatever we can in that way. But when real prayer takes place, it'll be because we've realized I can't provide something for myself. And when I can't provide it for myself, it causes humility to draw me to pray. In fact, we, we learn when is the best time to pray? When you're in trouble. He said, when you're in trouble, pray. That's exactly when you need to pray. The second thing we learned was the power. I choose to pray because of God's power. I realize he has the ability, not just that I'm just giving something to him or I'm taking something to him, but I actually know that he has the power to accomplish it. He can do it. He has the power to do it. He has the ability to do it. He's not limited in anything. He doesn't lose battles. It doesn't come up short with him. And so therefore I can trust him last week we begin to learn that we add the word to that. And we learn to pray the word over the, what we're praying. It's okay to have power. It's okay to be humble. But it's his word that moves him. It is the accountability to his word that causes him. Your tears won't move him. Just, just having a problem won't move him. Because we'll have people sit around all the time, well, I don't know why God won't help me. I, I don't know if there was a God, why would he let this happen? Because you don't pray. And you don't pray correctly. And because you don't pray correctly, you're never going to see the answers that you want to see from God. So we learned that we have to add the word to our prayers. Now today, we're going to wrap it up and understand that I choose to pray, not just because I can't, not just because of his power, not just because of his unfailing word, but I choose to pray because prayer can do an incredible, mighty effect in my life. Prayer, say it this way, I choose to pray because of the mighty effects prayer has on me. I choose to pray. Eventually what happens in prayer is you finally see someone who lives in prayer, walks in prayer, and you start watching their life and you're like, how did you get here? How did you get where you are. How did God bless you? And then you can turn around and say, it is the effects of prayer. It is the mighty effects of what prayer brings into my life. Now, let me read a few scriptures for you before I jump into this this morning. Go with me to 1 Samuel 1, verses 5 through 7. We'll come back here and shortly. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival always also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Boy, that, that does not sound like God is on your side. I mean, that just that right there, if you just had that part of your story, you would think, 
man, what's the use in serving God? Go with me in your Bibles, and let's read a few from Mark now and a few other places, and let's get the understanding back in our mind of prayer. Let's get back in our minds the understanding of prayer. Mark 11, verses 24 and 25 says this way, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you shall receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Go to Romans. <coughs> Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Go to Romans 12 and 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfastly in prayer. Look at the person beside you and say, keep praying. Don't quit praying. Go to Colossians 4 and 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Go to Philippians or Ephesians 6 and 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Philippians 4 and 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And then James. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed a sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another. And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We could read 20 more. But go with me, one place we haven't been, go with me to Luke 1, or 18, verse 1. I want to cover one other part where Jesus talked about prayer. Here's what he says. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not People should continue to pray and guard and protect in that prayer that you never lose heart. Jesus immediately after this will go into a story and the story is about a judge and he says this judge is not even a good man, this judge is a pretty uh, just rough guy, he just really don't care about anybody, doesn't really, I mean he just wants to do his job, get his paycheck, go home, he don't, he don't want any problems, he, he's just pretty much happy being a judge. And he's this one widow woman who has a problem. And, and this one widow woman comes to him and says, I need your help. And, and he says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. And he forgets about it. And, and along the way, she comes back. And she comes again and says, I thought you said you were going to help me. And you haven't helped me. I need your help. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to take care of it. And the judge is like, just a crazy woman. Just, just. And, and, and she comes back again. And she keeps coming back. And she keeps coming back. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, what is that judge eventually going to do? Eventually, he's going to fix whatever it is that woman needs. He said, whatever that woman's asked for, he said, he's going to make it right. Whatever person did her wrong, he's fixed to pay it back. It's fixing to be rectified, not because he's a good man, not because he's, he likes her, but because of her persistence in begging, her persistence in asking someone who has the power to fix it, and she's not going to let go of the one that she has decided has power to fix it. And just like us, he says, with God, he said, then how much more? then will God your heavenly father who loves you and cares about you will he not fix what's been going wrong or what the enemy has brought or whatever life has brought at you how much more will he who loves you and cares about you answer the prayer of everyone who does what who will pray and will not cease praying who will pray and say I'm not turning to plan B or plan C prayer didn't work last week well that's okay we're going to bring prayer this week well, what if it don't work this? We'll do it again. What if it doesn't? We're just going to keep on praying. We're not going to quit praying. There is no other option. Prayer is the answer for my life. When you finally settle that in you, 
then it changes everything about you. In fact, when you begin to grow in prayer, it goes beyond just normal prayer. In fact, the Bible says men should always pray continually. We know that where two or three are gathered and agree, we're two touching anything. We hear constantly. In fact, let me put this to you, and this is going to be a stretch for you in your prayers. Do you know that almost 90% of the prayers that you read about in the Bible, almost 90% of the prayers are more than one person? More than 90% of the prayers in the Bible are corporate prayers. At least more than one person, two people praying, three or four praying, whole congregations praying, whole groups of people. Why? Because where one can put a thousand to flight, two can put, and let me tell you, one of your biggest battles that you'll have in prayer, one of your biggest battles is reaching a point to where you finally don't care if someone else knows what's going on in your life. The scriptures I read to you, most of them told you, confess one to another. Pray one for another. Why? Because it's part of the corporate prayer that God says we have to have in our lives. And if we don't have them in our lives, they're going to cause us irreparable harm. There's certain times in this room, some of you have prayed about something. But listen to me, your prayer is never going to have a breakthrough until you reach a point to where you're willing to let someone else connect with your life in prayer. You can keep going through that marriage. You can keep going through that job with those kids you can keep going through the misery you have in your own life as long as you want because the enemy knows we're at a standstill in our prayer we're at a standstill in our battle and until you're willing to find someone to say will you agree with me that we're going to pray and see breakthrough in this area will you agree with me that it's not going to remain like this you say pastor lot will you pray i pray and i got bunches of people that pray And I got people that pray for me. I take all I can get. And any way you want to throw them up. Why? Because in this battle, the more we can put together, the more we can pray together, the more we can stand together, the more powerful we are against the enemy that's trying to stop us in the process. Listen, I want to share with you a few things that I want you to realize about prayer. Number one, when we want to know the the effects, the reason I pray are because of the effects. Number one, pain and stress and difficulty and passion create prayer, real prayer. You know why you can't pray over your food very good? There's no pain. But what if I told you you haven't eaten for several hours and we're gathering together and you're like, man, where's the food? Oh, we're not, we're not going to eat until we've prayed. We're not going to eat until we've prayed. And we start praying. And you're like, well, we pray. Let's, let's pray. No, no, we, we, we haven't broke through yet. Let's just keep praying. We pray for an hour. When's the food coming? It'll get here. But you need to, you need to, you need to pray. Let's pray another hour. I'll I just go get my food somewhere else. Yep, that's an option. But it ain't worth that. That's an option. But if you want the food that has been prepared, then you'll have to pray. What happens? The pain and the stress and the difficulty and the passion to want to get the food creates a better prayer. It's easy to improve somebody's prayer life. Somebody says, I don't know how to pray. Just give me a hammer. 
take your shoe off. And I'm going to teach you in about three seconds that you have a really good prayer life. All I have to do is add the appropriate amount of pain and the appropriate amount of passion, and it will get your full attention. When your toe turns black, you'll be praying, oh, I hope it ain't broke. God, please don't let it be. Y'all pray. Y'all be praying it ain't broke. Because, see, we don't see it that way. What we think is prayer comes from the the ease or prayer comes from from the the difficulty. No, no, no. Prayer is just the opposite. Prayer is birthed. Prayer is birthed in your misery. The problem is you want to hide misery. We're taught on Facebook how to put our favorite photo up and not the one it's like with our face down and everybody asks, what's wrong? Well, it ain't good right now. And I just want everybody to know it ain't good right now. I mean, I believe it will get good. I believe God's power. I believe God's ability. I'm turning it over to God. But I'm telling you right at the moment, it is not good. I got a toe that's turned black. I, uh, Pastor Lot hit my foot with a toe. Y'all need to be praying. I don't know what's going on. I just know I can't walk and I know I need it healed. Will you pray for my toe? toe yeah prayer is easy accepting the pain or reaching a threshold of pain some people can reach enormous threshold there's some people that can divorce leave their kids quit their job bail out on everything and still not pray I, I don't understand that pain tolerance like didn't it hurt somewhere along the line bad enough for you to say Uncle. Some people it didn't. There's people on the street that live out on the street and you, you, you try to help them. Mm-mm. Why? Pain ain't bad enough. I'm like, you're sleeping in a box. You're not even, you're not even disoriented. You're, you're, you're not someone that could be here. You could choose to do better. We'll help you. Mm-mm. Pain ain't bad enough yet. That's why Jesus told you, you will have the poor with you Sometimes, always. Let me tell you why. Poor don't bother some people. Some people can sleep with a dog and fleas and everything else. And, and you ever watch them hoarders and different things? Some folks can live in anything and every situation. It ain't moving. And you can want it for them. I know you don't have people like this in your life, but I meet people. You, you want better for them. You wish they would do. You have kids and you're like, look, if you just try you just put some heart into it if you just try now it don't hurt that bad i just rather people laugh at me that don't bother you i guess i have a low pain threshold i don't like losing nothing in anything therefore the enemy don't get anything but many of us because we don't have low pain threshold we don't have a good prayer life prayer comes from the pain mixed with the passion for something that you want more Uh, let's go back to that story that I want to show you in 1 Samuel go back to that and let me catch you up to where we are Because really where we are in this story is a lot of where we are now in our society. And the society is not not because of what's going on in the world. The Philistines are still there and and, and the different armies are still there and the enemies are still there. But what's happened is, is that God is not there. There is a priest, there is a temple in Shiloh. This temple that's in Shiloh, that's, that's in between, it's, it's not the temple that Solomon will build one day. It's not David's temple, but it is the temple that's been set up temporarily for the children of Israel. It has become the Mecca of where they come to worship. It's where they come to praise. That's where they come to do their sacrifices. The temple of Moses and, and all whatever pieces has been brought there, and they've constructed something in some form of a temple, and, and, and now they're having services there, and Eli is the high priest, and, and everything is going good, and Eli is this incredible man. When you look at Eli, you would think on the face of him, you would think, man, he is a good 
good guy. He, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a loyal, he's faithful, he, he doesn't have any wicked things about him, he doesn't do. Eli has one flaw, and the one flaw is killing him. It's that he won't take authority over his own children. He has this feeling within him. I know that's not our society. We, we raise our children to, to appreciate things and we, to say yes, sir, no, sir. We, we raise our children in a different era than that. I, I know we don't have children that are disobedient and disrespectful and talk back and do things. But, but Eli did. Eli had raised a generation of kids that didn't respect him. And now this generation who didn't listen and didn't want to take no advice and does their own thing and wants their own stuff, they have grown up now. And Phineas and Hophni, his sons, have already gone into the temple and done some really, really rough stuff. Done took some girls up in there and different things they had done and it, it wasn't good at all. And you would think that Eli at this point would finally stick down his foot and say, Look, that, that's enough of this, and, and, and we're through it, and I'm going to chastise you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to correct you right here. But the Bible says he just scolded them a little bit and, and told them, now why do you boys do these things to hurt me? Why do you boys do this? Y'all killing me, breaking my heart. But he didn't take no belt off. He didn't correct them. And then from that moment, the Bible says that even the people that came for sacrifice did it because they knew what was going on. See, the problem is, is that there's no way it can be a revival in a church if there's no church to come to. If the people in the church are just as bad as the people out of the church, there can't be no revival. If most of the affairs is happening in the church and you got more people bailing out of the church and we use the stage as some type of entertainment center and everything else, you're never going to have a revival. And so they're stuck. Man, they're in a bad place. The Philistines are, are getting stronger. They're getting weaker. Praise and worship is dying out. Later in time, Phineas and, I want to call him Phineas and Ferb, <laughs> Phineas and Hophni, I have to be careful, cartoons, I watched the kids growing up, too many cartoons, Phineas and Hophni, during one of the battles with the Philistines, decides they're going to take the ark. It's bad enough that worship is gone, but now they're going to take what represents the power of God. They take it into battle. And they hear in this battle all the screaming, and Israel starts to scream because the ark is here, and Philistines, but this time the Philistines are not afraid. The Bible says they killed the two sons of Eli that day. Take the ark for the covenant. Even worse, a messenger runs back and Eli's sitting at the gate. He's just kind of sitting on a situation like this. He's just kind of sitting. He's 90 years old. He's nearly blind now. And he's just kind of sitting there, you know, and he hears somebody running. And he says, you have word? Yes, I've got word. Well, what's the word? They took the ark. And your two sons both slaughtered the bible says when eli hears that he falls and he falls on his side and he breaks his own neck and eli's whole lineage lineage everything ends that day with them two mess ups thinking they could make god do something for them doesn't that sound a lot like us we don't want to serve him or act but when we get in trouble boy that's when we need to call a corporate prayer and a national prayer day. And all. And the people that don't want to do anything are the ones that suffer. And Eli falls off the stool, off his place, and he lands on his neck and breaks his neck. That's, that's where this country is at the moment. That's, that's, where, that's where it was in their time. 
There was no, no person. There was no individual. There was no group. There was no that was going to stand and say, you say, Pastor, that's, that's horrible. Well, I'll tell you something even worse. Go back with me to 1 Samuel. Listen, but Hannah, he would give a double portion. While the, this was going on nationally, while nationally things were going bad, and before Eli falls off and before the sons are killed, something is happening and God is working in something. And God has a plan and God is working something out. But nobody can see it, nobody can understand it at the moment, but they will. They will finally get it before long. There's this one lady that's over here and she's married and, and the problem is, is that the man is married to two women. He's married to Hannah and he's married to Penina. Now, in their culture, having children is very important. And Penina has had boys and girls. She's just spitting them out. She's blessed with kids, not a kid, kids. When they go into the house and Hannah walks into the house, there's kids everywhere. None of them hers. When they go on a trip, there's kids all in the SUV. But ain't none of them hers. She's sitting there quietly, while all the kids are doing their things, she can't, those are her kids. Don't talk to my kids. Don't mess with my kids. And, and not only does she not have kids, but the woman who does, Penina, is more than happy to provoke her and to pick at her and to disgrace her on every occasion she can. Oh, my kids got a runny nose. Oh, you don't know nothing about that, do you, Hannah? Maybe one day you'll have a runny nose, kid. Any way she could provoke, any way she could cause problems, any way, and, and, and this is what took place. But Hannah, he would give a double portion, so every year they would go to Shiloh. This wasn't like one week. This wasn't like one month. This is years, years, years of the suffering, years of the pain, years of the difficulty, years of... And she reaches a point because it takes a certain level of pain and it takes a certain level of stress and it takes a certain level of passion to, for you to decide we're changing this situation. And we call it prayer. That's what we call it. But it only works when it's mixed with a certain level, when it's birthed by a certain level of pain and passion and stress and discomfort that happens. But Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had done what? It wasn't that she just couldn't have children. It's that God prevented her from having children. It wasn't that she just had problems. She, God made her barren. This God who loves us and this God who cares about us is the same God that puts you in the trouble that you're in to birth something that's bigger than your problem. While you're praying, God, keep me out of problems. God, keep me away from problems. Keep me out of issues. Keep me. God is saying, that's good. That's what you should pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's good. But understand that even when you pray that, God's still going to bring problems in your life. Those problems may be physical problems. There's problems may be mental problems. Those problems may be family issues. Those problems may be marital issues. Those problems may be your children that drive you crazy. Those problems may be grandchildren that you're praying for. Those problems may be workplace issues. Those problems can be anything and everything. Whatever God chooses at the moment as a weapon to bring more out of you than you realize that's in you, then he will choose that 
So that's why we glory and we give praise in every trial and every temptation. When somebody says, how in the world can I praise God when I'm going through a trial? It's easy because God picked the trial and God picked the situation and God picked the answer before you ever went into it. Your job is just to hang in there until God finally brings that answer. So Hannah loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, Penina, also did what? Provoked her severely to make her... Is anybody in here miserable? Anybody in here miserable? See, that's a trick question, isn't it? Because you came to church today and want something from God. But the only way you can get something from God is if you're miserable. If you're content with what you have, if you're satisfied, then when I give an altar call in a little while, you won't move. It's okay. It ain't that bad. I can live with it. God do whatever God wants to do. You can handle it. Right? You're not miserable. The key is is to learn to stay miserable all the time. You don't hear many preachers on TBN tell you that. The key is to stay miserable all the time. The more miserable you can stay, the more effect you can have. If you're happy with everything, you're not going to do anything. But the more you wake up in the morning, it's like I'm just, every time I think about it, it just makes me sick when I go to bed. It makes me sick when I wake up. I'm just miserable all the time. Then you're, you're a candidate for God doing a miracle. Then you're a candidate for things. But we've trained ourselves to just be happy with what we have or be happy where we are. And the enemy's like, that's right. Just be happy. Don't worry about it. You got three kids. If I get one of them, don't worry about that one. I mean, you got two good ones and that one's just a little bit of messed up. Just, just be happy. Don't fight me on it. Don't 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 pro- problem with it. Don't lose any sleep over it. Hey, go to go to Golden Corral and eat a buffet, and don't worry about it anymore. Let's just go get something. Let's go watch a movie. Let, let's do something to entertain ourselves. Let's take our minds off of it. But until you reach a point in your life where misery is a normal part of your life, it's part of who you are. Jesus, the Bible said, was a man of sorrow. You understand that? Jesus was a man of sorrow. People would come to him and want to complain. I don't know about following you. You know, I got some stuff. He said, foxes have holes and birds, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. Look, don't bring that stuff to me. Well, I'm not going to do it, but I'm just not quite. Anyone putting his hand to the plow and looking back, a plow ain't easy to work. He didn't say anybody walking. No, he said anybody putting their hand to a plow and deciding we're fixing to go to work. And looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Until you know that I can live in misery. While at the same time, be content. I've learned to be abased. I've learned to move forward. I've learned to have nothing. I've learned to have much. And I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. See, some of you think the misery, the misery is God's verdict on your life. It's just the way God wants it. No. Listen. And her rival also provoked her seerly severely to make her miserable because the Lord, he says it again, the Lord put it all together by closing her. So it was year by year. Look at that person say, has it been a lot of years? We ain't talking about a couple of weeks. We're talking about something that's made you miserable for years. 
that addiction that you're like, I'm sick and tired of that addiction. I'm sick and tired of the enemy robbing me. I'm sick and tired of losing. I'm sick and tired of my testimony being robbed. I'm sick and tired of a skull can telling me what my testimony can be. I'm sick and tired. I'm just sick of it. Now, as long as you're content with it and you're happy with it, keep going. But until you get sick of it, nothing's going to change. The problem is I have a low pain tolerance. There's a lot of things that make me sick. It's not good to talk to me most of the time. You bring up, well, that's what they need to do. That makes me sick. Well, you hear about, oh, they need to do this. That makes me sick. Till you have a, a high pain tolerance for sickness and you can talk about it and Facebook it and whatever else, it don't bother you. I don't want Facebook. I don't want to hear about other people's misery without me feeling touched by it. If I hear about some situation or some circumstance, I'm ready to sell everything I got and go help it. Some of y'all can scroll through it for hours. Oh, you see what? So-and-so died. You ever think you've gotten so numb to what's normal that your pain tolerance has become so high and you've learned to live with something so normal? That God says, if you can live with it, I can. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. We're starting to get somewhere now. Go to the next verse. Can you pull up some more of that? We're going to read a little bit. I know I didn't put that down. Here's what it says. Then Elkinah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Isn't that what the world says? Why are you so upset? Let's go get a taco. Come on, we'll go to Taco Bell. Ain't no reason to be upset. We got too too much good stuff in the world. Why are you weeping? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? Why don't you just forget about that and realize how good you got it? Your problem, many of you in this room, is you keep forgetting what you're supposed to have and you're accepting what you got. And somebody keeps telling you, ain't I good enough? Ain't I worth enough? Ain't I, ain't I valuable enough? And something inside of you, most people's problem is they're not to their 30s and 40s and 50s till they finally realize that all the things people kept telling them aren't I enough. They finally dawned on them one day, no, you're not. I'll just go ahead and tell you, you're not. Ain't our marriage enough? Nope. Ain't the kids enough? Nope. Ain't your job enough? Nope. Don't the fact you got a house be enough? Nope. Doesn't move me a bit. Doesn't make me unmiserable. I'm still miserable because there's things in my life that I want to see beyond the things that most people say this should make you happy. Get you some bulldog tickets year-round and and just go watch the games and tailgate and whatever. Can't you find something to make you happy and just so you can live till you're 80 and then you can die and it'll be over? Can't you just live your life and get it over with? Can't you just be normal? Nope. Is there anybody in here miserable? There you go. There's a hand or two. Finally, there's some folks that's realizing, yeah, that's right. I don't like normal. I don't like just living normal. I don't like the Facebook world. I don't like everything. I want to see things change. Underneath the current of that, Eli is messed up, and these kids are messed up, and our country's going down, and there's bad stuff on the horizon. Somebody's got to say, I've got to fix this somehow and some way. I've got to be a part of the remedy and not part of the problem. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. 
Number one, you will never have true prayer until you have pain and passion mixed together. True prayer will never take place in your life. You can wonder, why isn't God doing anything? Because you don't care. Oh, I care how much. I'll tell you how much Hannah cared. She'd done reached a point it took years to get there. I'm not saying she's, she's some super, super person. I'm saying God knew what it was to finally pull her trigger. God knew what it would take to finally get her to the point he wanted to get her. He had a plan. He said, Hannah, I know it seems like I'm being ugly to you, and I know it seems like I'm being mean, letting Penina have more babies, and I just keep blessing her with babies, and I keep closing up your womb, and I won't let you have anything. I know it seems like I'm hurting you, but I'm trying to get something out of you. I'm trying to birth something in you that you don't realize how big it is, and you don't realize what it can do, and you don't realize how it can change a whole society you have no idea what I'm trying to produce in your life Hannah but to do it it has to come out of pain and it has to come out of passion because you got to make commitments that most people won't make and you got to be willing to go where most people won't go you got to be able to do what most people won't do and until you're willing to do that then we can't move forward and I got to hold you right here and if we got to do another year let's do another year but we'll stay right here until I hear what I need to hear and on this occasion finally after years it had finally broke inside of her and in her anguish listen to what happens then she made a vow and said oh Lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid servant and remember me and not forget your maid servant but will give your maid servant a male child then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life And that kid will never have a haircut. A razor will never touch his head. He will be raised a Nazarite. And I will raise him and he will be given to you if you will do this for me. What was God looking for? Eli was fixing to pass on. Eli was fixing to move on. Eli was fixing to fall off his chair and things were fixing to happen in the next few years and God says I need to set it in motion I need somebody in the gap and where did it come because of the man because of Samuel no no I'm going to tell you where it was birthed it wasn't birthed in Samuel it was birthed in his mama it was birthed in someone who had been prayer who had suffered for many many years who had struggled through many many years who had heard other people holding their kids and laughing and other people going through all the fun times and talking about going to the park and talking about them learning to walk and here she sat year after year after year and it had built in her until finally the covenant that God was looking for came bursting out of her mouth and said God if you'll just give me this one child I will give him to you I will raise him to love you I will raise him to honor you I will give him to the Lord and he'll serve you all the days of his life Imagine if people today had that mindset before they had a child. How much different our society would be. Before a man and a woman came together and said, all right, before we do this, let's make a covenant. That we're going to raise that child and they'll be in every Sunday school class. We'll do devotions. We're going to raise them to love the Lord and to know the Lord. I don't care if they kick, scream, and holler. They're going to know God. We're going to live it in front of them. We're going to praise in front of them. They're going to hear us pray in front of them. What if we had children with that mindset in mind? We're not even having this child for us, but we're having this child for the Lord. Imagine our society. We keep thinking, what can we do for our society? It's not that complicated. But we don't hurt bad enough yet you got to hurt pretty bad to make that kind of covenant. Hannah made it. No razor. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now this is crazy. Listen to me. Number two. This is important to understand. Prayer prayer is the prophecy of your future why does the enemy not want me to pray because let me tell you what prayer is when you take 
your inability and you mix it with God's power and you attach it to his word, then what you're doing in prayer is simply this. You are prophesying your own future into your life. True prayer. True prayer is not, Lord, I really need you to help me and I really need you to heal me. No, no. True prayer is declaring, God, your word said that if there's any sick among you, that you can lay hands upon me and I shall be healed. I declare that you called me to be healed. I declare that by his stripes, your son, I was healed 2,000 plus years ago. I declare it for your glory it's supposed to happen. What's happening? What I've done is I've attached my future. I've attached my destiny. I've attached mine to his word and his power. And what it has done is it's allowed me to prophesy where I'm going. So where am I going? I'm headed toward healing. I'm headed toward healing. I will be healed. That's bold. It is. But if you attach that to that to that, then when you start to pray, what happens is the expectation of what is to come excites you. Listen, Hannah is prophesying her own future. She's saying, Father, if you just if you give me the word, she just don't have a word. She's just waiting for the word. Remember I said last week, you you can't go anywhere without that word. You can have power, you can proclaim, you can speak it, you can whatever, you can can jump up and down, but until you have a word. And so Hannah is praying. Her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. Eli sees it. He's never seen anyone pray like this. Eli's never seen anything like this in his life. He looks down, he's like. And he walks over to her and he says, Woman, how long are you going to be drunk? How long are you going to be drunk? When are you going to sober up? And she looks up at him and she says, No, my Lord. I'm not drunk. I'm just vexed in my spirit. I'm just weighed down. For the Spirit will help you pray things that you don't can't put into words through groanings and through and, and it's gonna look weird to the world. When's the last time you cared about something so much that you didn't care if you looked weird to the world? When's the last time you was something that bothered you so bad you came to the altar and you didn't care what the other hundred people behind you were thinking? There are a few times in my life when God does crazy things in my life to teach me. I was at camp meeting several years ago, and, and I'm a very introverted, I do not want attention. That is not my game. About halfway through the sermon, there's things that I was wanting to see, dreams that God was birthing in me and things, and God said, Tim, it's like, yes, Lord, whatever. I want you to get up right now. I want you to go to the altar. And you would think that would be a wonderful thing. Man, God just told me to go to the altar. Of all the things God could have said Tim do, in front of 150, 200 preachers, wives, everybody that's there, right in the middle of this this national speaker, this guy they brought in, and, and I want you to get up and I want you to go to the altar. And I got up. I walked to a place on the side. I knelt down. I started praying. Preacher just kept on preaching. Finally gave his altar call. Other people started coming down. And God just whispered to me, you can get up and go sit down now. You can get up and go sit down now. And I was like, God, why? Why? Because I needed to know. I needed to know that comfort is not going to be the king of your life. I needed to know because whatever I choose, whatever I design, and whatever vision I give you next will always bring you out of the next comfort you're in. And I need to know if I speak it. 
Will you step out of your comfort for what you desire? And Hannah says, look, I'm not drunk. I just don't know any other way to pour out my heart. I don't know whether she had her hands raised. I don't know if she was staggering around. I don't know if she was just doing, I don't have no idea. It don't matter. All that matters is whatever was once comfortable to her, whatever once was normal to her, the only thing that mattered to her was that she would hear God say it was going to be okay. And she didn't care what anybody else thought. Until we get there. We can watch the 6 o'clock news and watch our country keep going down. Until we get there, we can keep complaining about our Congress and our presidents and our whoever else we elect and whoever we elect next time. Until we get there and we become so uncomfortable we don't care what the world thinks, then we're never going to see the breakthrough that God wants to show. And Eli looks at her and says, Daughter, Whatever it is you're praying for, let it be done for you. And I love this. I, I love this part. The Bible says she stood up. She went and washed her face. In fact, let's listen. And he like, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you the petition you have asked of him. Now listen. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad she ain't got no kid but she got a word she ain't got no no baby to hold yet but she's got a word this is what it says that and they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the lord and returned and came to their house of ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord, she couldn't wait to get back home. She said, hey, baby, I got something for you. I got something for you. Come on over here. There was a different attitude. There was a different mindset. There was a different purpose. And this time, the Lord remembered her. He remembered the word that he had spoken. And Hannah gave birth. Number three. When we pray, when we pray, not only is our prayer birthed in pain and passion, not only is prayer the prophecy over my life, but listen, number three, it invites the presence of, and the power of God. It wasn't until she accepted prayer, the word, that the presence of God could move on Hannah. It wasn't until, until then he couldn't move on her. Number four, it always increases the faith to believe for a miracle. When you pray, it's birthed out of this passion. It's birthed out of this desire and pain. Something I want that I just can't live without. It becomes the words of prophecy over my life. I prophesy over myself. It becomes in my life a way that the presence of God can enter in. For he tells us in the New Testament, as I've showed you, not only prayer, but thanksgiving. Not only prayer, but praise. Why? Because the power of God, the Spirit of God, comes on wings of prayer. No, he comes on wings of praise. But it is the prayer that directs the direction that you're supposed to go. Oh, I wish this made sense. So through my passion and my praise and my pain, I prophesy over myself, and as I prophesy, it opens the door for the presence, which means, number four, it increases the faith. Remember what I said 
Faith is increased by prayer. Prayer is increased by faith. It is, it is a working together. They constantly are pulling against each other. They're constantly encouraging each other. Pray and you're going to grow faith. Have more faith. You'll learn to pray better. It just constantly works. The two go hand in hand. And it creates the atmosphere for miracles. Number five. It moves me from my own purpose. Prayer moves me from my own purpose to God's. What was God doing? What was God trying to do? Well, I told you what happened to Eli later, but let me tell you what happened to this boy. His name would be Samuel. In fact, the books we're reading is First and Second Samuel. He becomes the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. He is the bridge builder between the prophets and the judges of the Old Testament. He holds a title unlike anyone else will hold in the Old Testament. He not only is born and in three years or so when he's weaned from his mother, does she take him to the house of the Lord and says, here, Eli, he's yours. He is the one who hears the voice of God because we find that Eli can't hear God's voice anymore. He doesn't hear God's voice. He only can speak. Remember what he tells Hannah? He thinks she's drunk because he can't hear the voice of God. He just speaks a blessing because he can't hear the voice. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you that we have a lot of people speaking blessings, 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 but they don't hear the voice. And because because they don't hear the voice, they can't give direction. They just keep speaking blessing. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. God's going to bless you. It's going to be good. But nobody hears the voice. Eli couldn't hear the voice, but Samuel could. We hear the story of this young boy where he's sleeping at night inside the temple with Eli in one room and him in another. And all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord comes to Samuel and says, Samuel. He, he wakes up and runs to Eli's room. He said, did you call me, Eli? He said, boy, I didn't call you. He goes back and lays down, and the voice calls him again, Samuel. Somebody's hearing the voice. Eli finally realizes, and he tells Samuel, he says, Son, next time when you go lay down and you hear that voice, here's what I want you to say. Lord, I'm here. Say whatever you want to say. Eli couldn't hear it, but Samuel could. The next morning, Eli calls Samuel to the side and says, Boy, come here. What did the Lord tell you? And he said, listen to me, you better not lie to me. And Samuel had to look at Eli and say, God said, you're going to die. And your boys are going to die. And your family's going to be eradicated. This is the second time Eli's already heard this prophecy. And Eli looked at the boy and said, you spoke the truth. But Samuel, as a young boy, is already telling you, here's how it's going to turn out. Here's the way it's going to be. Samuel, as he grew up, became the judge of Israel, judged Israel until Israel finally said, we're tired of just having judges. We want a king. And he's the one who anoints Saul as king. He's the one who pours the oil on Saul and anoints the first king for Israel. And he's also the one who removes Saul from the anointing and says, you're no longer the king of Israel. But he's also the one who will walk into Jesse's house one day and there, a little boy by the the name of David is standing there and it is Samuel who has the anointing oil and walks up to Jesse's little boy David and says you will be a king of Israel one day God has proclaimed it God has spoken it it is Samuel who is there walking through these corridors setting us up who will one day have the Messiah sitting on David's throne all because one woman one person couldn't be happy where she was. She couldn't be happy with what she had. She couldn't be satisfied without the passion that God had put in her. I've already asked you before, are you miserable? And most of you didn't raise your hand, so it's not much sense in altar calls. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to get miserable. Let me encourage you to care about something so much that it's more important than you. And your comfort. And what you want and what you like. And it just might be that God does something so big 
that it might make you historical. It might be something you never even saw. I always loved the guy who said, somebody was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. Somebody was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. You don't know. You're not God. Quit saying to God, if you just do it this way and I can see it, I'll be happy. Sometimes we have to say, God, I don't even want the blessing. I just want the pain of the answer to come. I'm just tired of hurting wanting to see it. You can have it. It'll be okay. Do with it what you want. I just want my prayer answered. Will you stand?